of the Eagles, Sixers, and Flyers. WENJ, WENJ HD, Millville, Atlantic City, 97.3 ESPN. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Hill. It's time for Football at Four with 97.3 ESPN.com's Andrew DeCecco. Powered by InsideTheBirds.com. He's in. Touchdown. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. All right, football at four, powered by InsideTheBirds.com. Mike and Broads, Andrew DeCecco's in today. Brought to you by East Coast Roofing Siding Windows, serving all of South Jersey. If you call, they'll show up. Visit them online at EastCoastRoofing.com. It's a uh, football at four Tuesday with Andrew DeCecco here on 97.3 ESPN. He, like all guests, appears via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. And uh, let's get into some NFL, some Eagles stuff here. Andrew, what's going on, man? Doing well, Mike. How about yourself? All is well. Uh, I tell you what, uh, as the weather's starting to get nice and hot out there, it is nice and hot down the shore today. You're starting to think about mini camps, training camps. But we were just talking about the, uh, you know, uh, some stuff that surfaced of uh, Carson Wentz being out and about, Jalen Rieger, and uh, getting out in the field for down in Houston. And uh, I guess that's the first real feel. Uh, do you value those guys being able to take these opportunities and getting out there and doing some stuff, even without the coaches around? Yeah, I think that's tremendously beneficial, especially, you know, having those idle months where you're not really getting that that, that grass time, as Doug Peterson said. Uh, Carson Wentz has done this in the past in 2017 before the Super Bowl season. I believe he, he had all the wideouts go to, uh, go to North Dakota, Fargo, North Dakota, and uh, kind of build that rapport there. And you kind of got to see what that, what that, what that offseason work looked like um, when you saw it seamlessly transition into the regular season. So I think, this, I think it's great to, uh, to have Jalen Rager there. Uh, I think he's probably the, the one player that can benefit the most out of these, um, out of these uh, extra you know, throwing sessions with your quarterback. And, um, you know, I, I, think, uh, I think Greg Ward is, lives in Houston. He's, when he went to the University of Houston, I think he lives out there. So it wouldn't surprise me if, he's at, if he also joined him. I know he's, he's been part of that group that, that's worked with Carson in the past. So, yeah, no, it's definitely, it's definitely encouraging to see. Yeah, Rieger's one of them uh, that we know for sure. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside is also out there, as is Marquise Goodwin. So uh, a couple of guys that we definitely know. I don't know who else is out there, but those were three of the names that I had to come across that were out there. And, you know, Rieger's obviously the big one. It's getting a chance to kind of get – and I guess um, what it is, Andrew, is getting that timing, getting the sense of what these guys do, getting to know when they make their breaks, and getting a start on it now as opposed to the first time – remember, there is no mini camps or anything – as opposed to the first time you meet the guy in person, you know, say – uh, in late in late July, so getting the timing and all that thing down is something that I really like to hear. That him and Rieger, especially, and then Goodwin, you know, when you talk about throwing the deep ball, uh, kind of getting the timing down with that. That's something that Wentz has really had problems with because he hasn't had the same arsenal of guys. Yeah, Mike, it's imperative to, that he gets this time in now because you know, without without the, you know the OTAs and the mini camps and everything. 
every practice is is magnified everything every rep is is you know valuable in training camp now because you know you, you only have so many before you know you start the preseason play and that goes right into the regular season so they really need to hit the ground running and i think this is a great step towards that yeah and another thing too uh marquise good with jj ortega whiteside those are two guys most likely that will be battling um that's something interesting we were I, we were talking about receivers a couple of weeks ago do you, how do you like do you see them staggered into Hey, it's going to be Greg Ward in the slot, and he's going to be battling with John Hightower and Quez Watkins for that. You know, like, or are they going to look for guys who can play? Because one of the problems Whiteside had last year was he was struggling with learning the terminology. So, do you think they make these guys learn one spot and put them in a competition, or try to get them to be versatile and learn multiple spots? Well, there's a new receiver coach, Aaron Moorhead, so it, a lot it's yet to be determined how he how his how he's going to approach that. You saw Carson Walsh and and his approach to you know JJ Arcega Whiteside, and you know when JJ came out and said you know there was you know, I would go into game days and not really know what I was doing, uh, where I was lining up, what my responsibilities were. So I, I think that you know to answer your question, I think they would be you know better served right now to to kind of get you know get a John Hyde or get a Quez Watkins get them acclimated in one spot before putting too much onto their plate because they're going to be behind the eight ball as it is so um and and I think as far as when you're looking at what receivers you're going to keep you really need to not you don't really want to focus on you know like specific like body types and roles you want to just keep the best the best group of pass catchers that you have uh whether that be five or six guys how much of an impact do you think the wide receivers coach can have? Like, if you look at last year with Carson Walsh, is it his fault that they weren't able to be better than what they were? Like, how much of an impact do you really see a wide receivers coach having on some of these players? Well, in Carson Walsh's case, he had never run a receiver room before. And outside of Greg Ward, there, was no, there, there wasn't a receiver on the roster that kind of took a step forward, which is, which is kind of a, an alarming, you know, an alarming characteristic from a, coming from a receivers coach when you don't really have anybody that kind of elevates their performance besides a squad player uh, who has been in the system since 2017. And uh, you look at Aaron Moorhead, he's played in the NFL. He, he goes about 6'4". He has a commanding presence from what I understand. I think a lot, a lot of players may more, you know, he's more relatable to a lot of players, you know, having that prior NFL experience and, and just, you know, being able to commanding a room. You know, he was a receivers coach at Vanderbilt. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, he has a lot of different, you know, and he has past experiences to kind of lean on and, and share that with the, with the, with the receiving core. And I think that, uh, that you're going to see a, a vastly improved, um, uh, group of receivers this year. Andrew DeCheco football four powered by inside the birds.com. And, you know, we talk about the, that uh, Wentz is out there in Houston. They're finally getting some time together, uh, and, and throwing the ball around. But there were some reports yesterday, Andrew, that, the NFL could look to push training camp up. It doesn't look like there's going to be mini camps, but because of that, we could be seeing training camps start a little earlier, and that's a positive sign as well. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely a positive sign. A lot's going to depend on, you know, I, 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 every every you know team in you know state has to be on the same page, so a lot's going to depend on, um, you know, I think California would probably be the biggest hurdle there, but it's definitely encouraging to see because, like you said, the time is, is so is so minimal right now that you know and the season's going to be here before you know it. So they really need to maximize their practice time, and and I definitely think that it's trending in the right direction there. Uh, all right, offensive line stuff. Uh, I saw Gil Brandt tweet the other day. You responded. Uh, he said he was thinking about the best offensive lines in the NFL. Six he came up with. 
and did not include the Eagles. Now, it feels like the Eagles are always included when talking about some of the best offensive lines, but it's simply losing Jason Peters pulling them off of this list. It's it's hard to say. Uh, there's you know there's teams on there that I kind of scratched my head at to begin with, and um, when you still when you look at the the contingent of the offensive line that the Eagles have, and you know Brandon Brooks is the is the best guard in the NFL. Um, you know Quentin Nelson from the from the um, from the Colts might be the only guy that kind of compares to him. Jason Kelsey's a top three center. Um, you got Lane, you got Lane Johnson who's the best at his position. You got Isaac Sayamalu, who after he he rebounded nicely from that from that poor showing against the Falcons in Week Two, and he's one of the more underrated offensive linemen in football. Um, so I, I and, and you know Andre Dillard, they invested you know draft capital in him, significant draft capital in him, and uh, this this is a pivotal offseason for him. But you know when you have such a strong unit, I think it, it, I don't. I, it was kind of puzzling to see them left off the list. I, I didn't quite understand that, but um, obviously they don't have they don't have the depth of some of those teams that were on the list. They, like we, we got into the Matt Pryors and the Jordan Mylottas and, and the Jack Driscolls and, and the players of, of that mold. And, and they do have uh, potential, but it's unproven potential at this point. A hot topic right now around the league is Dalvin Cook extension talks. And I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but I just wonder if Sanders continues to take the steps in the right direction, what are the Eagles going to do when it comes to Sanders and his contract extension talks? With this position, it's just so crazy to think about how productive they are and how important they are. But when times come where it's, hey, it's time to get paid, teams just won't give out the money. Yeah, and you know, it's hard to say, Hunter, because the Eagles haven't really had a running back of Miles Sanders caliber in, in quite a while. So, and, and we're, like you said, we are a ways away from that. A lot has to kind of play itself out over that time. But if he continues his, his trajectory, uh, which there's no reason to believe it won't, um, we've kind of outlined how I, we think that he can very easily have 1,700 all-purpose yards this season. Um, they're going to have a decision to make. You know, they haven't really – it's hard to say that they're, that they're definitely not going to spend that kind of money to a running back because when you look and see what Miles Sanders can do for an offense, um, similar to what LaShawn McCoy can do to an offense, it's kind of – you want to you, you invest in that player. And, you know, he's a homegrown talent, so – um, you know, it's hard to say how it's going to play out over the next few seasons, but I have to think that they want to keep him in the fold for a while. What is your take on, we've talked a lot about running back, you know, because of uh, some of the interesting names they have, but how do you, do you see the end of the running back by committee here? Do we finally see that uh, Doug Peterson's ready to hand things over to this Miles Sanders or because of what we're talking about, you know, do teams want to try to get away from having that guy because they don't want to pay that guy? Yeah. I, you know, and Jeff wrote a, wrote an article on that uh, just a little bit ago, but I think it is the end of the running back by committee. Doug said that he was all for the running back by committee, but, but if you really look and read between the lines, that's always really had to go off of. He hasn't, he hasn't really had that, that blue chip talent, so to speak. And now that he does, you know, you're going to see that he had a three-down workhorse in Miles Sanders. So I, I think that um, now you're going to see less of an emphasis on, you know, kind of finding ways to manufacture touches for, for you know, your second and third runners and, and just kind of move forward with uh, Miles Sanders, who's probably going to get anywhere from 16 to 18 touches a game. Do you think that the running back by committee could actually be better than having that three-down back? I mean, you get to keep guys less rested, less – time to get injured I mean it just seems like the running back by committee has been so solid that is it a recipe for success I'm not saying to 
because the Eagles have what they have in Miles Sanders, I'm not saying to not utilize him a lot, but I'm just looking at what the Eagles have done over the last few years with some of the committees, and it has shown success. So is that a bad philosophy to have? We talk about it as if maybe they should try and get away from that. And is that the case? Should all teams look to get away from a committee? Well, there's pros and cons to both, Hunter. Obviously, with the committee approach, you you have you can keep guys fresh and and keep that and it kind of minimizes the wear and tear on the body. And it, but that particularly works if you have you know three runners with varying skill sets. If you have some with multiple with the similar skill sets, it kind of it's very redundant and it really doesn't serve that much of a purpose. But you know when you have a guy like Miles Sanders, a three down guy who can who can just stay on the field and keep the offense in a rhythm. And um, I think that that's such a rare commodity in today's NFL. There's so few guys that can actually do that and, and kind of, you know, have, have that, you know, workhorse, true, you know, three-down running back label. Um, it's so rare that I think that when you have one, you you gotta you gotta find a way to keep them. How do you keep com- in the mix? How do you compare? Uh, I know you uh, just did a piece on the Giants and they got Barkley. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got Elliott in Dallas. Uh, how do you compare Sanders next to those two guys? Uh, it's it's far too early to kind of determine where you're gonna where you're gonna slot Miles Sanders um, uh, like com- in comparison to those guys. But um, and he has a different body type and, and somewhat of a different skill set than some of those guys and, that you mentioned. But um, he has he has a very high ceiling. I could see him you know having that type of Saquon Barkley production. Saquon is the only offensive weapon that the Giants have right now, so the offense kind of runs through him. So he's going to get a lot more touches than Miles Sanders will. Same goes for Ezekiel Elliott. Those guys are the focal points of the offense. So, um, but you know, in Ezekiel Elliott, he's more of a, a downhill runner. He can catch the football. He's a little bit bigger. Same thing with Saquon Barkley, but but Miles Sanders is a little bit more explosive. I would say he's a little bit more explosive than some of those guys, and and I think that he has yet to scratch the surface with, with how good he can be. Uh, Andrew Checker Football 4, powered by InsideTheBirds.com. Looking at some Eagles. We'll get into some NFL stuff as well. And, you know, one of the things we talked with uh, Jeff about on yesterday's, uh, there was Fletcher Cox made the list of pro football focuses top 50 players. Now, where he fell on that list, I was pretty surprised. He was 15th overall in the entire league, and he was the second best defensive tackle. So when I say Fletcher Cox's name to you, does – would that be where you would envision him being league-wide uh, amongst uh, his peers? You know, the number two defensive tackle in all of football and the number 15 overall player. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You look at the impact that Fletcher Cox had in football games. You know, you look at his production from 2018. He had 830 snaps. Uh, he, he accounted for 80% of the snaps. And he had 10 and a half snaps. But then when you look at 2019, when he had 799 snaps and saw that production dipped from 10 and a half sacks to three and a half sacks, you know, on, on the surface, you might be like, well, he had a dip in production. You know, maybe he's kind of, maybe his play has fallen off. Well, that's, that's not necessarily the case. When you watch the, when you watch the tape, you look at, there's a lot of things that are at play there. You look and see, um, he had, he had to play all those snaps. He didn't have them Lee Jackson next to him. He has a rotating cast of characters. We look at, you know, Akeem Spence, uh, T.Y. McGill over the years, uh, Bruce Hector, and you have so many of these different guys that he really has to play with. And he didn't get those that, that extra help off the edge like he had the previous season with a Chris Long, with Michael Bennett, uh, with, with Brandon Graham uh, having a big year. So I, he, he really he has to play a lot of snaps. You kind of see him wear down towards the end of the season. But he commands double teams. 
He's he, he's explosive off the line, quick burst. He has good lateral movement. There's a lot of things that he does well that may not show up on the stat sheet, but it's impactful on game day. Yeah, it's and it's weird because I don't know. I guess he just doesn't like. He's not in like when you talk about like Aaron Donald, his name comes out first, and I'm not like JJ Watt plays the end and he's a tackle, but I feel like his nationally he doesn't get the same recognition as as some of those other top level defensive linemen. Yeah, it's kind of weird uh, that that he that he really doesn't get that kind of buzz. And you see Aaron Donald; he's got that chiseled physique, and you know he he puts up all these you know these uh, these training videos where he's able to. He kind of has defensive back type feet and quickness, and he's so explosive off the line. And you, you kind of get the, he, they've had some prime time games where he's really showed out. So he's going to get, and, and he's a phenomenal player. He's arguably the best player in the NFL. So I mean. There's no, there's no question about it. So I mean, it's kind of weird when you look at the defensive tackle position as a whole, and you see Aaron Donald, and there's a cast of characters. But Fletcher Cox is, there's no question that he's the second best defensive tackle in football. When you look at all that he brings to the team and what he means to the Eagles. Yep, uh, it's uh, it's interesting. And then there was another guy on that list on that defensive line, which was Brandon Graham, and he was number mm-hmm. forty nine, not quite the same, but still top fifty player. Um, are you at all concerned that we see that kind of slip from Brandon Graham at all this year? I mean, he is going to be, what, 32 years old, and sometimes those players just all of a sudden go from one spot and then boom, you know, like a light switch. Yeah, I mean, there's always that, that, that concern is always going to be there, especially when you start to, when you get on the, the wrong side of 30. But Brandon's been a very consistent player over the last six or seven seasons. He had eight and a half sacks last year, 17 quarterback hits, which a lot of people might, you know, kind of, you know, roll their eyes at. But some, in some cases, that's a little, it's just as good as getting a sack. And his 17 quarterback hits were even more than when he had in 2017 when he had a career season with nine and a half sacks. So I think that he does, he's another guy. He doesn't have that prototypical size for a defensive end. He's got these short arms, but he's got a relentless motor. He, he's a technician on the edge and he uses his hands very well. And he just has a—he's a student of the game. He studies his—he studies his opponent very well, and it shows up on game day. Going back to Fletcher Cox, you know, next to him will be Hargrave and Malik Jackson. What should we expect out of Malik Jackson this year after the injury last year and, and what he did earlier in his career? You get to play next to a guy like Fletcher when he does get his time out there. What should we expect from him? I think you're going to see the Malik Jackson that, that you saw. Three seasons ago, because he's going to be a lot more. Fr- he's going to be a lot fresher, and he's he's recovered from the injury, and he's going to maybe even see some snaps off the edge. So it's going to kind of play with some of his strengths there. He's not going to have to be that that three down tackle. He's going to have some help there. So I think that when he sees he can take some, he can alleviate some of the pressure for one off the defensive end uh, rotation. When you see uh, there's a drop off there, when you have Derek Barnett. And, uh, and Brandon Graham, so I think we'll play some of the, some defensive end there, and um, and also be a key the third defensive tackle, kind of like what Vinny Carey and Chris Long have done, have done in the um, and like as far as moving inside NASCAR packages. All right, uh, football four. Andrew Dechek is with us. Uh, we're we're hopeful, by the way, that um, we see fans in the stands. We saw that New Jersey just opened up, and I guess there's a possibility uh, for that. I, I'll ask you whether or not you have any anticipation, or do you think now at this point that when the season kicks off, we're going to see some semblance of twenty five percent, fifty percent, seventy five percent full stadium? Where do you feel? Uh, where do you stand on that? 
I do, and you know, this is something I kind of battled with. It's uh, I think there's going to certainly be some fans there, but as far as being at full capacity, I don't I don't necessarily think that that's that that's going to be in play. I think you might see I don't know half full probably because you still you still got to keep that distance and. Um, but I, I think that there'll certainly be some fans in the stands, and, and it's really trending in, in a positive direction. You start, you, I mean, we, we we talked about how training camp is possibly going to be bumped up, so I mean, things are starting to you know play favorably into that. I just don't think that it'll be completely full. All right, uh, before we roll, and uh, I know there's been a lot going on. The NFL on Friday put out a statement that was you know really making uh, the rounds, a lot of impact uh, from both sides here. Malcolm Jenkins responded today saying, "Quote." I still don't think the NFL has gotten it right until they apologize specifically to Colin Kaepernick or assign him to a team. I don't think that they will end up on the right side of history. Uh, that's what Malcolm Jenkins just recently uh, said today. Did, were you surprised, number one? I said to Jeff yesterday, Andrew, I had to look at the account multiple times and make sure I wasn't getting duped. Like, I really was like, is this a fake account? Um were you surprised, and do you think that was a significant message from the NFL? It was, but only, like Jeff said, only if there's actions that follow that message. It can't just be you make this, you deliver this, you know, this this message, and then that's the end of it. You know, he finally admits that the NFL was wrong for not, you know, for not listening earlier and encouraging, you know, all to speak out. And, and you got to see that joint video from prominent NFL stars. It was so nicely done, and. Um, and he did. He said he would be reaching out to players that, you know, raise their voices and others, you know, and others in an effort to be more united. Now, that sounds great, but we need to see that happen before before we can kind of, you know, say that he's coming from, you know, that you know, that he's being fully transparent. Um, so, I mean, we're, we're going to find out in the coming months whether there's some truth behind what he said and whether he's going to live those live those words. But, I mean, it's definitely it was definitely encouraging to see. Yeah, that's definitely something I, I really am anticipating seeing if uh, that was a Friday news dump type of thing and just kind of put it out there and hope that people forget about it or if they really uh, make an effort to try to do something to change here. Uh, but it'll be interesting that Malcolm Jenkins uh, stepping up today to say something, saying, look, I appreciate it, but until you say something mm -hmm. specifically uh, to Callan Kaepernick because he kind of danced around it. Hey, we didn't listen to our players in the past, and I guess that was his kind of way of uh, maybe giving a tip of the cap to Kaepernick. But I guess That's some players, right? It, it just seems that some players are like, "Nice try, but we caught you." Yeah, hey, that, that's that's immediately what I thought of when I read that too. It's like, yeah, you know, um, pretty much like we got you here. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna admit that you were wrong, then you know you need to issue an apology to Colin Kaepernick and kind of, kind of right the wrong, you know, that that you've kind of let, you know, open ended for the past few seasons. So I agree with you there. All right, uh, A. DeCecco NFL on Twitter. Give him a follow, 973ESPN.com. Eagles training camp will hope, uh, hopefully have a date at some point in the near future here. And uh, as news continues on the NFL, we got you here on Football at Four. All right, Andrew, take care, pal. All right, guys, tough credit. And he, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Yes, he's back on Friday. Mosher's in tomorrow. We'll do a little Ask ITB uh, stuff with uh, Jeff Mosher. Adam Kaplan on Thursday, and uh, Andrew's back on Friday. Football at 4, powered by InsideTheBirds.com. It's brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Play real money casino games from the comfort of your home. PlaySugarHouse.com. You'll be able to find table games that you can play online, like Blackjack Roulette and more, right on your phone for real money. You also make your bet with live dealers. 
Visit PlaySugarHouse.com this week. Have fun. Must be 21 or older. Playable in New Jersey only. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. we got Ask Mike and Broads on the other side. Some good questions coming in today. And the MGPT Top 5 at 5 tonight. Five most underrated Phillies from the last 20 years. So there's a good batch of Phillies in there because the team was actually pretty good at some point during the 20 years, unlike almost the rest of their history. So that's tonight's MGPT Top 5 at 5. To South Jersey's number one sports radio talk show, The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN-FM. All right, 428 on a Tuesday. Let's get into the last Mike and Broads. You guys take over the show. You guys can ask us whatever you like. Use the hashtag AskMikeAndBroads. Find Broads81 on social media. You can dump all the questions right in his lap, and we will answer them for you right in this segment. Yes, so we have one from Scott, and I like this question because it's not specifically about an individual team or you know diving into a, a specific player. This question is, would you guys go to an NFL game in September? If not, what about December? By then, do you think everything will be okay for you to go? And this is, of course, if, you know, if the NFL season opens up in September and people are in the building and and we're going with that scenario. Yeah. Would you personally, we'll start with the September question. Would you think by September you would feel comfortable enough to maybe go with the girl i know you're not a big go to the eagles game guy but say you and your girlfriend got tickets you would like to go would you be afraid or would you question going because of corona in september i think september i would pass to be honest with you i mean i'm in the i'm of the opinion like you know (laughs) i i feel that uh you know, one of the reasons baseball is having an issue, okay? Well, yes, we're talking about money with baseball. But one of the issues they're having is they don't, they're afraid to start the season and get hit with the second wave. That is one of the problems with the baseball negotiation that is kind of under-talked about is if this second wave comes and they aren't able to play playoff games. I think we are all just taking for granted that things are opening, people are so tired of this, open back up. I mean, anytime you post something, you got one side of the coin saying, should have been open the whole time, that's open everything back up, and then you have other people who feel completely different. Everybody is always, they're right and the other person's wrong. There is middle ground here, right? The guy on the one side isn't 100% right, and the guy on the other side's not 100% right. There's not enough information is the problem. So by September, it could be totally different or it could be totally worse. So by September, I would say my prediction would be no, I would not. uh, I would pass on going to the game. I think September, I would probably say the same, but... I like how Scott threw in December because I feel by December I'd probably be in that stadium. Um, well, you were in the stadium the last Sixers game. I was correct. It now, was a weird, weird, weird vibe down there. I was going to say, were people that night like, man, we really shouldn't be here? I that's probably what everyone was thinking. And I will say, when you looked up and you looked around and you saw the stands, it was odd to see that many empty seats so it wasn't as if it was a packed barn 
that last night. And I remember driving home. I got hit with the notification as I got hit in my car. The NBA shut down. I'm thinking to myself, I literally, I mean, I literally two seconds ago just left the Wells Fargo Center and they are shutting it down completely. Like that game should have never happened that night. A lot of people felt that way, right? A lot of people felt that they should not have played that game. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it was a, I mean, I, I can't even explain how it was in there. You could just sense that people were just so confused. Well, I remember it was really weird that, like, they had the coach and you had to stay, like, six feet from him when you were interviewing and, like, stuff like that, right? Oh, yeah. When we went to Brett, uh, Brett Brown's conference, there was a whole entire, like, red, um, you know, what they do in security gates and whatnot. That They had that all blocked off where he was. Like the and rope. Media, me, yeah, media was probably about, you know, somewhere 50 feet away from that. 50 is a little strong, but we were not close to Brett Brown at all. We were pushed back pretty uh, pretty significantly pushed back there. Yeah, that's going to be weird. Now, December, you know, it's weird because by December, you're thinking, my gosh, this would be almost a whole year. I mean, it came around February, March is when we really did something about it. But February was really when it was when it was kind of here. We just kind of took our good old time, like doing stuff about it. So you would be almost a full year that you would think that they would. I don't know, but well, the difference here too is here you know everything, you know what's going on, you understand. As you stated, it's been almost a year, so everybody understands what's happening with coronavirus to a certain degree. You are going to that game pretty much knowing how the world has been treating this coronavirus. So I feel like if you're going to the game in September, October, you're probably in the group of this isn't even a thing anymore. Oh, absolutely. So with that mentality, it's not going to be the same as when I was there in March and everyone was all concerned and nobody knew what's happening. It's it's two different mindsets, mindsets entering the game. Yeah, you're right. You're, you, as, as I kind of, you know alluded to is you have a bunch of people who feel like nothing should have closed ever and then you have other people that still feel that thing shouldn't open so you're going to have very mixed feelings going back to a game I think in September December though I'm interested to see if the people who don't think things should be opened or reopened or yet by that time would they have enough comfort I talked to someone today, still petrified, doesn't like thinks this is ridiculous. They're opening things up like this is crazy. What are you doing? <sighs> See, I think you got to you got to start moving forward to an extent, right? I mean, the economy is is a problem, right? You can't just have things shut down forever. You got to somehow start moving along in the right direction. No, I, sure. I mean, absolutely. I, like, but you got to keep in mind. <laughs> Not everybody feels like, okay, the economy is, okay, that'll be there at some point. It'll, you know, it'll be there, but my health is more important. Other people don't care about their health as much as other people do. You know what I mean? So it's like the people who are going to a game, some people just feel like, okay, if I get it, what's the big deal? Most people who are getting it are fine. Yeah, but I think when we talk about opening things back up, going to a game and opening back thing and opening certain stores and whatnot is, is two different like would you go scenarios. all right so you talk about a game in September you feel all right going to like a department store buy yeah, a so pair that's, of... that's exactly what I was going to bring up I feel comfortable now going into Wawa making my own coffee touching this touching that 
doing that. I feel fine going to Wawa. Now, would I feel fine uh, being in a stadium with 60,000 people? I don't know. I don't know if I'm at that point yet, but I could easily walk through Wawa. I can easily walk through See, Home Depot Lowe's. This is the interesting part. Like today, the governor says you can have um, 100 people together. And I'm thinking, like, why, like, if, if it's, if there's a, po- like, the difference between, like, 160,000 is obvious, the amount of people. But if two of those hundred are in your circle, there's still two of the hundred that could start, like, you know, I don't know. Well, it'll be interesting to see. With all the protesting going on, you know, obviously people are not social distancing. It would be interesting to see what the numbers are from that, which obviously isn't going to just pop up right now. Right. But we, when you do see numbers moving forward, I think that will kind of show people, like, if the numbers continue to not rise, if, if they don't rise to this insane degree after all these people are together, well, then maybe that changes how some feel about it. Well, it's interesting because we had Memorial Day weekend recently, right? And you're starting to see the problem is, you know, this used to be on the news nonstop. It was all you saw. And now this has kind of got pushed aside because of the protests and everything else. But if you're actually kind of paying attention to those numbers, I think there's like 25 states where the the, the cases started to shoot back up again. Uh, Florida's gone up over a thousand cases every day for the last week. Um, Texas is going up, and these are spots, by the way. And this is another thing, sports related, that hasn't been talked about: is Florida has gone up every day over a thousand cases for over a week now. That's where the NBA is reopening. But they're going to be in their own little bubble. Sure, absolutely. But, you know, you're in a state where now the cases seemed like they were kind of flatlining and slowing down. So what did they do? They opened back up. And now all of a sudden their cases are going back up over 1,000 every single day. I guess I'm just in the spot now where I don't know how to really take in seeing numbers go up because we kind of had this conversation before sure numbers are going up but we have so many more tests and are are people passing away from having it at this point like what's the what's the rate at this point of surviving this thing and not having to go to the hospital you know i know somebody in my family who had it was sick for three days and then totally fine totally normal right after that she had a 108 fever for three days 108 yes could it could it move Ben. Fine, maybe I'm, I might be. I might be saying 100. It might be a little high. What well, 104? Maybe I think's a little what, high. What, 104? <laughs> does that sound more reasonable? Even that's pretty high, but yeah. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll send a text message to verify the actual number. But I know it was high as hell. Sick for a couple days. Bang. Normal now. Back to work. So I mean, do you shut down the economy for longer periods of time if 95 percent of people get sick for a little bit of time and then go back to work after a week? I don't know. I'm I'm not saying one's right or wrong. I'm just throwing out the scenario. I think a lot of this, too, is with many things. You know, you can talk about how you feel about the coronavirus. You don't know anybody who has it or aren't affected by it. You think it's nonsense, right? Yes, correct. If you you haven't been surrounded by it, then, yeah, you, you think it's not a thing. Correct. 
you know, my roommate in college says, you know, he lives up in North Jersey, knows eight people who have died from it. My other roommate from college knows four people who have died from it. They are affected way more than I have been. But because I know them and they're like, dude, no, this is like, I know eight people in my circle who are no longer here because of this, you know, or four people from my circle who are no longer here because of this. They are affected by it and have a different mindset about doing things than people down here would be because I don't know anybody directly that that has even uh, tested positive. Yeah, it just it comes down to. No, so if I said to them, they live in North Jersey, you're going to go to a Jets game, Giants game, they'd probably be like, hell no. Yeah, they would say hell no. Right? No, they, they definitely would say hell no. But, you know, it, it comes down to how many people you're saving compared to how much of the economy is, is going down. And I know that sounds silly, but, I mean, if, if 2% of people are passing away from coronavirus, yet you're absolutely destroying the economy – at what point is it we value the economy not getting destroyed over those 2% of people? And luckily, I don't have to make those type of decisions. I'm just laying out how you have to look at this from all sides, really. Something tells me that I think you might make better decisions. Say that again? You cut out on me. Something tells me that you actually might make some better decisions than some that of the people who were making decisions. Well, I don't know if that's true because we got a text saying 108 is brain damage and death. They would have been hospitalized. Yeah, so, I think 108 was was probably. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think 104. As soon as you said that to my response to 108, I'm like, wait a second. No, 108 seems definitely high. 104 in that in that range of 103, 104. But I, I know that she did say it was a very miserable time. It was horrible. But my point of it was she was in bed for a, a handful of days. And then she beat it herself, and then she went back to work so, after that time. So to answer the question, September, yes or no? No to September. December. Yeah, I think by December. I'd, if I saw September, October, November with all these fans in the stands and you know, you're know you not hearing much more about all these insane spikes, yeah, I, I think I'd be there in December. All right. You're on the same page? Yeah, or? no, I said before, I, I think September I'd be out. December... Okay. I, I probably would be more comfortable. Now, do we have time for another question? Yeah, you can fire another one off. Okay. Do you expect Ben Simmons to work out in the half-court set when playoffs start? And this is from Charles. To work? What do you mean? Yeah, like, the, I, I mean, I guess over the last few years, not I guess, I, I think we've all seen it, uh, Ben has struggled a bit in the half-court set. So I guess his question is, do you see there being... Uh, a spot where Ben Simmons is a little bit more comfortable this year in the playoffs when it becomes a slower paced game, when it's possession by possession, when things change because postseason basketball is a totally different sport. It's interesting because according to Pro uh, Basketball Reference, Ben Simmons has spent 93% of his time as the point guard this year. But, you know, he's been moving around a little bit more. A 93% though, I mean, it still dominates the time at that point guard position. How much is that going to change with Shake Milton? Those two have not really played together at all. So to answer that question is kind of tough because I don't know where they're going to play him and how they're going to use Shake Milton when they return. Well, when he was playing off the ball, which clearly you even mentioned uh, was uh, a very limited amount of time, he would be in that dunker spot. 
And that dunker spot didn't really work either when he was playing in the playoffs. I mean, there's just something to be said about how much slower the game is. What what Ben Simmons does well is run downhill, push the floor, right? I mean, get up and down, transition ball. That's exactly what playoff basketball is not. And, well, he can be more valuable in the half court if they utilize his skill sets as such. I mean, he can work down in the post and use his size and skill set to his advantage there. Well, could he with Joel and Al Horford on the floor as well? No, probably not. You probably have to to strategically stagger those guys. Yeah, no, it's just interesting to... To think about it because uh, me and you we both see Ben Simmons as a player who can totally change a franchise and he's a one unique player with a hell of a skill set but when it comes to postseason ball which matters the most we all understand that it, it looks different and that lack of jumpers a reason why it looks different there's something to be said about uh, his poor production in half court basketball let me uh, I'm gonna go back to the other question real quick we just got a text message it's kind of interesting Okay. If you're going to a game, are you going to a game if you have to wear a mask? See, I think if you're at the point where you have to wear the mask, isn't that kind of what? I don't know. I, I think that that kind of. I don't. I don't think I am. Like everybody at the, they're, they're handing masks out with a, a logo on it. <laughs> Sixers <laughs> logo. What, Pittsburgh has the rally yeah. towels, right? They they have the rally masks. I don't know. Because uh, this guy texts us, as a healthcare provider, we needed to shut down because we didn't know. At this point, we have more data. If we are responsible in public, we can open up. Whether you have a gathering of 100 versus a packed football stadium, there's really not much of a difference. Now, that's a good way to put it, though, because I agree with at the time, because it was so new to us and we had no info. Yeah, I think it was reasonable to do what we did. But well, we're at the point now where it's time to start creeping in the right direction and opening things up. And, and I did think about that when we laid out the 60,000 scenario. If you're sitting in Section 112, right, who cares about who's over on the other side of the stadium? That doesn't really impact you, does it? Not necessarily. I mean, I guess the concept was, you know, if you're in the beer line and there's four guys in the beer line and then all these people and they're walking in different sections you know, originally it was like it was so contagious that just like standing next to that guy or touching this thing, if he touched that and then you touched it after. I mean, at first it was just like, you got to be kidding me. Like, how do you even avoid this? But it seems that that has, you know, kind of dissipated to some extent. Yeah, because I think about this when I do go in to get my Wawa coffee. How many people touch this door handle? How many people touch that door handle? I, I do. I think about that when I open it. And. Back then, when we first started hearing about it, I would almost like run to the car and pour three gallons of hand sanitizer on my hand. Yeah. And now it's at the point where it's a little drop, a little drop, a little rub, you know? All right. Sports Best Live 97.3 ESPN. How many people out there uh, are putting your list together for your five most underrated Phillies of the last 20 years? That's today's MGPT top five at five, and it's coming up in about 13 minutes. Turn it on. Leave it on. The Sports Bash. 403-0973. That's 609-403-0973. All right, nine to the top of the hour. Today's MTPT Top 5 at 5. We got the five 
most underrated Phillies of the last 20 years. Joe and Galloway just chimed in. Uh, one of his guys, maybe two of his guys, actually, on my list. So uh, keep them coming. 609-403-0973. I wonder what PT came up with. I just feel like, uh, I don't know. He, he's so out there sometimes. I don't know what to expect whenever we put these lists together when it comes to PT. Yeah, he's a wild card sometimes. Now, do you think that he has Dom Brown on there? No. I don't now, know that he comes any, out with that scenario. I don't think anybody the word underrated and Dom Brown, there would be no scenario that you could come up with that would put Well, him I explained in there. my reasoning. The thing is, it just wasn't the player itself. It was the storyline that was underrated. And we actually had a, a texter come in and say that, you know, I wasn't such a smart individual. Well, I wasn't saying Dom Brown was underrated. I said the story was, but that's not what our list is. I get it. I Somebody get it. called you not so smart? Yes. I use some other words. I didn't see that. Oh, yeah. Oh, here it is. Yeah, what's it say? Mentioning Don Brown is underrated as bad as picking five albums to listen to for the rest of your life that are all the same genre. Well, see, I don't see... Uh, See, I agree with that. You can't pick five albums to the rest of your life and them all be the same genre. you got to use a little variety. They're different versions of hip-hop, though. So when I listen to that, I don't get the same feel that some who just say, oh, that's all rap. Because Kanye is different than Kendrick, and Kendrick's different than J. Cole. Yeah, and to me, I, when I listen to I that... I get that. I understand what you mean yeah. by that. I'm just saying, like, I, they're not my five favorite albums, but, like, if I had Smashing Pumpkins, Pearl... Like, I would have... They're different variations of rock. I want to get a different sound. I want to get, like, some brass. I want to get a little... You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to... If I had five albums to listen to, and they were all a similar genre, not the same, but similar... Uh, I would probably go crazy at one point. Now, listen, I understand that. But I listen to that style of music, I'd say, 98% of the time. So if that's the case, I told you, I listen to hip-hop and I listen to country. And I like country, but if you told me I got to listen to five albums, I'm not picking any country album. I'm going to pick my favorite hip-hop albums. I never get tired of it. Yeah, you also grew up in a pretty poor music time. Yeah, we talked about this. And, and you're not wrong, though, because when we talk about rock and, and things like that, there's there's no rock. No one talks about 2020 rock bands, no. right? There I mean, they just been, don't. There hasn't been rock since really, you're going back to like the early 2000s, and that rock was not good. I agree with that. I mean, you're no, talking I'm about like you. the Three Doors Down and Nickelback. That was just terrible. Yeah, it seems like all the good music of, of that era, like in 2020, this rap, it's all crap. But in the early 2000s, I mean, Kendrick Lamar is going to go down as one of the best rappers ever, and he's from this era of music. But he yeah. doesn't come. I mean, it uh, look, depends. I though. like three of your five, I would have said, were acceptable. It's just that you gave me five of the same genre. And I understand why that would piss some people off, but I don't listen to anything else besides country, and that's in the summer, June, July, and then September comes White around, Claw. I'm back to hip-hop. White Claw? Oh, well, White Claw, yeah. Are you, when I drove down to your house, I had all the windows down, I had country music going, I had my White Claw strapped in just in case I hit a speed bump, and I was cruising. Did you have a tube attached to the back of your boat, too? No. That's the guy Thank in the you. White Claw. He's sitting in the tube, somebody's on the boat pulling him. 
and I had the sunglasses on. The white, definitely the high chubbies, you know, the bathing suits, the the real high ones that the kids rock these days. Jeez. All right, MGPT top five at five.